And so the thing about friendships is that we each have our own lived experience of what that relationship is and that our perspective might actually be dissimilar from the way the other person is experiencing the friendship. This is where I think the rubber hits the road for a lot of us is knowing who our close friends are and how to cultivate and maintain those friendships. This is Meredith For Real, The Curious Introvert, and I am Meredith. I explore the questions that people think but don't ask out loud. They're the conversations you never thought you'd get to have. Everything from why are so many doctors obese to the origin of curse words. The goal is to level up your curiosity within and explore the nuance all around. Each episode is different, so bring your ADD and your earbuds and have a look around. Last week, we talked about friendship when you stop drinking. And this week, we're covering friendship during a major life change. My guest is a friend therapist. How cool is that? You'll learn the three types of friends and how to make new friends after a job change, a life change, and retirement. And if you end up liking this episode, you'll also like the one I did with the author and speaker Smiley Poswalski about how to tell if you even have any real friends. It's episode 144. And I want to say, if you're a repeat listener to any degree, second episode or 102nd, it would mean so much to me if you could tap those stars on the Apple Podcast app. I know leaving a full review can feel weird, so don't worry, just leaving a star rating helps a ton. Why? It tells future guests and sponsors that what we do here is pretty awesome, and they should be a part of it too. All right, friends, keep it curious. Inside Jokes shared birthday celebrations, downtown happy hours. You've got tons of friends and everything's fine and good until, you know, you move, change jobs, get a divorce, retire. My next guest is a licensed clinical social worker and the author of Here to Make Friends, How to Make Friends as an Adult. She believes that meaningful friendships should be staples, not accessories. And today, she's going to answer the question, how do you develop new friends after a major life change? Author, ambivert, friend therapist, Hope Kelleher. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Merida. It's such a privilege to be here and talk about what seems like such an easy topic, but is really hard for so many of us, especially coming out of two and a half years of a pandemic. I feel like this topic is something I certainly saw before as a challenge in my practice. And it's just, it's almost omnipresent now how to make friends, maintain friends, renegotiate friendships, especially as we can merge through different life works, transitions, different stages of life. Oh, yes. And we are going to hit three of those major life transitions today, which I'm super excited about. But first, I want to ask the question that I feel like if we don't address at the beginning, people will feel like this whole conversation is just a giant to-do list. And that is, why does this even matter? Because a lot of people, when faced with major life changes that remove friendships from them, they shrug. Oh, that sucks. Oh, So why make the effort? Why is this important? So there's actually like a bountiful amount of research that indicates that social connections have health benefits. Right. So they reduce the risk of heart disease. They increase people's happiness, increase people's sense of self esteem and confidence, self worth. They can be factors in helping build resilience. And I think it's also important 
to consider that when we evolved, we lived in groups of people, right? And so for many of us in this day and age, even though sometimes we feel like we're more connected vis-a-vis social media, we are actually more disconnected from the sense of community as we once knew it. Perhaps like our parents once knew it, right? Grandma and grandpa lived down the street. Our aunts and uncles came over for dinner. Even just thinking about from an evolutionary perspective, we were part of a community, right? We are homo sapiens. We do things together. So I think it's actually about us going back to our origins, but there's a wide plethora of research that indicates that people do better in community and with And I would also posit that even sometimes in friendships, then it might be superficially easy to shrug off. But if you're like me, it's sometimes really painful. I think friendship breakups are actually more people who did my partner breakups for a number of reasons, but we could say that for a different time. Yeah, no. Friendship breakups is definitely a topic that I think I want to cover sometime on the show because my audience has communicated an interest in the subject of friendships as adults. Like we all are feeling like we need some sort of how to manual for sure. And what I love about your book is a lot of things, but how you define friendships and they have different flavors, if you will. You don't use that word, but I like to use that word. And one of them was utility friendships. When I think about going through a large change in your in my life, like a job change, I think one of the things that can make that so hard, and I'd love to hear you speak to this, is the friendships that I thought were good friendships, like close, legit, you got a friend and me kind of friendship is actually like a utility friendship. I was entertaining them while we worked in the same office. I was a helpful alliance as a fellow female in an office full of men. Like it was utilitarian and it wasn't an actual friendship, for example. So yeah, can you explain what all that, if I'm reading into that too much or if that's legit? There's so much there actually. So first, I just want to give some context. So it's not me who Pelliford defined it, but it's actually Aristotle. He came up with three flavors, if you will, of friendship. So friendships of pleasure, friendships of utility, and then friendships of the good. So friendships of utility are essentially where there's enough reciprocity in the friendship, but it's a quid pro quo relationship, i.e. you have a workplace friend, colleague that's showing you the ropes, right? They might become a friendship of utility. A friendship of pleasure might be the person you go play golf with or tennis with or just walk your dogs with, right? Where you're engaged in an activity that gives you both something that's pleasurable out of it. And then a friendship of a good I liken to a soulmate friendship, right? Where you actually don't necessarily need to have much in common with that person. I just feel like you've known that person forever. They will stand by your side through chicken friend. I think villas are actually, most of us don't have a hundred soulmates, right? Those typically tend to be our core people. I had a client once calling our strawberry people. Those people you can pick when you really need somebody to stand for you. And so the thing about friendships is that we each have our own lived experience of what that relationship is and that our perspective might actually be dissimilar from the way the other person is experiencing the friendship. This is where I think the rubber hits the road for a lot of us is knowing who our close friends are and how to cultivate and maintain those friendships. I don't know if that sort of answers 
that question. But it is like really sad when you think somebody is like a soulmate friendship and then they just kind of be like, you're the work bestie by the one. Oh, totally. Yeah, it definitely sucks. It's very confusing. Yeah. And with our problems nowadays, we're like, oh, dear Dr. Google. And you're like, I don't even know how to Google this. But thankfully, we have books now that I know this. So speaking of cultivating friendships, let's dive into the first major life change, which is a job change. The example that I was giving, let's say you're in the same city. Is it better to A, continue to show up to happy hour and pretend to understand the new inside jokes amongst your old coworkers? Or B, try to cultivate new relationships with new coworkers and all the emotions that go along with that. So I'm a big believer in the concept of the book then, right? That you always have to be cultivating and making and maintaining friendship. So in terms of friendship of utility, first, I would recommend if this was your dilemma to have a transparent conversation about that book or your experience of that friend. And see if they're willing to hear you and continue to work on that relationship, allowing you to go to the old workplaces of the hour, kind of staying in touch with people. Also, building a new network of people, right? Fostering friendships that could be friendships of utility or pleasure. I think the secret hope we all had is that these relationships might evolve into being your soulmate a big believer in trying to do as much as you can. I like that. That's a great way to word it. I think people get stuck in the how and you have lots of great tips on the how in your book. If someone what had changed jobs and realized suddenly, sometimes you don't realize, oh, all my friends are at work and now I have a new job, which benefits me in all these awesome ways. But now I'm feeling uncomfortable because I have to make new friends. What are some practical steps that someone can take when making a big change in their life like a job? Sure. So I'm actually going to add two things. So if you wanted to continue cultivating like former friendships at the workplace, take your friendship experiences out of the workplace. Maybe you become the organizer of the happy hour or have a small potluck party or invite somebody out for a coffee drink or a drink, right? See if we, if those former friends are willing to take, this is so cliched, I'm sorry, but I think it's the truth. See if they're willing to take it to the next. I also think that when you switch jobs, do your best to participate in any social activity. Something as big as going to a happy hour or something as small as like walking around on the block, getting a cup of coffee with a colleague. Or because most of us, I think, are still living in this hybrid Zoom world. Maybe having an offline chat about something or seeing if there's like another meetup that you both can go to or if there's a similar interest or if there is like an affinity group that's related to your work. So those are just some small advice, pieces of advice that I have. I like that. That's really good. Okay, so let's talk about family dynamic change. That could be a divorce. That could be a major breakup. Nothing sucks more than when you go through a big breakup or a divorce and you watch everyone pick sides and then you watch everyone talk behind your back. It is, honestly, it's emotionally exhausting. How do you find the emotional energy to invest into new friendships in a situation like that? That's such an important conversation that we need to talk about. And and something I've been seeing of late in my work in my private practice in New York City is another life transition when people become, that's huge. It can be 
really disorienting for people. And it also can be very disconnecting. For example, you're the first of your peer group to become parents, right? There's a lot of work that takes in keeping a kid alive in the first two years. And so you're not as available as you perhaps once were to engage and nurture and what are the former friendships. The combination related to a divorce or a breakup of grief while maintaining it and making new friends is really tough. I would recommend that if people typically have a sense of a big life change as those, divorce or breakup are coming, start to slowly branch out your net. Slowly participate in maybe some group activities. Slowly reach back out to people from your past. I went through a separation and it was interesting because I posted something, but somebody had figured out that I wasn't with my husband anymore. And actually two people, whatever, DM'd me and was like, hey, like, what, how are you? What's going on? And late, I'm seeing more of that with some of my like friends, Instagram saying, this is what I'm going through. And taking that moment, of, seeking that moment of vulnerability to reach out. We're seeing this like more and more when people disclose a miscarriage or pregnancy challenges. When people are vulnerable, I, I often see that as an invitation to say, hey, like, let me support you. I've known you for 20 years. I haven't been in contact with you in 10, but I'm still thinking about you. So those are just some ways. Newer friendships might be going to a coffee shop, creating a routine where somebody sees you every week. I might be dating myself here. But like Cheers was an old sitcom back in the 70s and the 80s. Kind of finding a community where you feel safe and accepted and keep on trying it. I once had a client who went through a divorce and didn't have a big social network, but started going to a, a local bar and didn't even drink. But then he became part of a band and then he became part of another band. And like he had this net, this beautiful network that he never thought he could have. And so I think the biggest part, and this is where I'm like the perpetual optimist, is saying yes to as many invitations as you can. And if you feel comfortable meeting new people, following my separation, it was something that was really big for me. Is if I could get the clear, if I was kind of curious, no matter how old, I would just reach out and say, hey, are you interested in this? Are you interested in And knowing, having self-compassion for yourself, that it's going to take every time. And that's okay. You don't have to force it. But I think most of us, this day and age, we want that community. We don't have the same community as we did, as our parents did. Okay, you talked about vulnerability. You mentioned it just now. And in your book, you talk about it a lot. At the end of each chapter, you have really cool built-in worksheets into your book, which the nerd in me was so excited. I was like, oh, is this a chart? Be still my heart. I'm so excited. (laughs) And the part on vulnerability had the most pages. So obviously this is important. So I have two questions. And one of them is, what is at risk if we're not vulnerable in our friendships? And the second question is, how do we prevent extending a hand, just like you said in the story about reaching out, people have reached out to you, you in turn reach out to other people who may need support. How do we prevent those situations from becoming utilitarian and us just being used as a an emotional vending machine? There mm-hmm. you go. Two-part question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's in both end again, right? With vulnerability and the need for boundaries. And going back to my book, the core components of a quality friendship, whether it's a quality friendship of utility, 
equality, friendship, or pleasure, or soulmate friendship, are reciprocity, interdependence, emotional intimacy, and conflict resolution. And so within those domains, I think that there's room for i.e. workplace friend is going through a divorce and they're spilling on you. They're spilling on you and like you want to be their friend but doesn't feel reciprocal, right? You need to know what is okay enough for you. To what degree do you need to have that level of capacity? It doesn't necessarily, from my perspective, need to be like a one-to-one ratio of capacity. But so maybe they're spilling, but they're also like coaching you on the board meeting that the boss needs to have and it's sufficient enough for right now. That might be okay. I do think that speaking about vulnerability is being able to ask something of a current or prospective friend if something doesn't feel right. I think when we had our intro meeting, like we joked, like I'm a therapist and sometimes my friends need to check me. They're like, all right, hope we have a code word. Like you're talking too much about yourself. I'm like, okay, I get it. So those are, I think, are the indicators of quality, healthy relationships. And so if we're not vulnerable whatsoever within our relationships, what are the potential consequences? I think it might be just a very superficial relationship. Mm. And sometimes those relationships are okay. The, hey, how are you doing? How's the weather? How's the dog? But I think to get to the soulmate relationships, you have to deepen. And that comes with long. Yeah. Otherwise, it's like eating junk food all the time. Or So I'm imagining if someone's listening to this and their chief complaint about their relationships is, yeah, I got a lot of kind of acquaintances, but nobody's a friend. Maybe maybe that would be like an indicator. Have you ever disclosed anything personal to one of these people? Have you made yourself vulnerable? Again, the both end. Have you made yourself vulnerable? And are you curious enough about what's actually going on for the other person? Yes. You just hit it. Curious is my word, Hope. (laughs) Oh, wait, I can figure that. But it is both in obviously the podcast, but like in my life. I love that. Okay. Another thing that stood out to me about your book was deciding on the qualities that you value in a friendship. Holy balls. I had never thought of that. And you know what? It just flowed. Like, I used your exercises as journal prompts and wrote in my journal. And that one, was like, do you remember you were saying you were dating yourself earlier? Do you remember the V8 commercials where you're like, I could have had a V8 and you slap your forehead? Yeah, that's what I was doing when it said, what qualities would you like in a friend? So my question to you is, as a friend therapist, what qualities do you look for in a friend? For me personally, I definitely look for people to be vulnerable and to be curious. I look for somebody who's a good listener. I look for just an overall kind person. I'm not like a super fun person at college. Apparently my nickname was for Syria. So I look for people who can have. <laughs> I didn't know that for the, long t- for the longest time. So. They told me that. I was like, oh, Lord. But I own it, right? So I look for people who know how to play. I think that sometimes as a 40-year-old woman, we don't have time or we have other commitments up for that. That's from playing. And I think play is just such a, it's such a gift of life if we have the availability and the resources to do it. And play for me doesn't mean just going to a workout, right? It means going out and doing an adventure with somebody and being silly and laughing and all of that. I love that your quality, one of the qualities that you look for is one to balance out another quality of your own. That is so insightful. 
Okay, so let's move on to retirement. This is a huge one. I swear to you, I could name, I won't, but I can name two people off the top of my head that are not retiring because I suspect that their entire social resource, all their social resources are in the job. And so they won't retire because they're afraid of losing that connection. So how can someone who is looking at down the horizon at retirement prepare socially for that transition? I think we should all be planning for our retirement. That is what my financial advisor would say. And just as we invest in our 403B or whatever those things are, IRAs, a Roth, we need to be investing in our communities and our ship. And so I can't tell you the number of older adults between 65 and 80 because they're so scared of retiring and just being with their significant other if they're lucky enough to have a significant other. And, and so you really need to start thinking about who are the people with whom are worthy of investing your time so it can be fostered into a soulmate relationship. I have a friend whose mom doesn't live anymore, and she's caretaking for her friends who are getting sick, right? If you're not, if you're not partnered or you don't have children, you need to be invested. And so again, I think it's about creating a functional family early on. If you're thinking about retiring, start inviting the people you love at work into the personal. Invite them out for lunch. Routine is important. My partner is really good at making friends and he knows everybody's parents' name. That might be his own work, but he often knows everybody's birthday. And he's Australian, so so he'll contact his mate from high school and be like, happy birthday, how are you? Starting chats with people, keeping it going, having routine and knowing other people's events is a good way. It's like a soft touch to have people stay in your life. So if you're really connected to these people at work, because guess what? They're going to retire or move on to start to cultivate that relationship, those relationships outside of work. Have a work potluck party, right? Start to cultivate individual relationships. Go to reunions. Go to retirement parties. Reach out when you're thinking about somebody. Follow them on Instagram. Yeah. Or if they're retiring, probably more Facebook. But <laughs> As creepy as it is, and I'm not a fan of social media, everybody knows that, but it can be, it's like a, it's a support system. It's a boost to making and sustaining function. Yes, it definitely can be. I think one of the barriers that can come up when it comes to anybody in every, any life transition, or even those who aren't experiencing major change in their life, is what you called in your book, The Nuts. And you talk about getting rid of the nuts, which turns out is less of a purge of crazy people in your life and more like what my hippie friends call shadow work. The thoughts, negative, unconscious thoughts, that's it. That getting rid of those thoughts that you have around what you believe about yourself and your potential to have friends. Hey, Curiositors, just a quick pause to show gratitude to our sponsors and give you some special deals. 
My husband and I have been using Liquid IV since 2019, and we love it for staying hydrated during these hot August days when we're milking the last drops out of summer. I just tried the watermelon flavor, and it might be my new favorite. It's tied with strawberry lemonade. And I love that we don't have to pack extra bulky drinks, just a little packet that we can easily put in a water bottle. And it has three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. Get 20% off when you go to Liquid IV.com and use code curious at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop better hydration today using promo code curious at liquidiv.com. Don't pick another boring venue for your next work event. Check out one of the Pensacola Historic Trust 12 museums. If you watch the show on YouTube, you see the beautiful backdrop of Trader John's, the exhibit where I record the show inside the Pensacola Museum of History. Booking an event with the Trust will not just be memorable for your guests, it will support the efforts to keep Pensacola's historic charm preserved. And if you're planning a trip here and need an indoor activity option, pick up a ticket in person so you can show the agent one of my emails and get $2 off an adult ticket. Learn more at historicpensacola.org. Summer is winding down, but the mosquitoes are not, at least not in the southern U.S. I've been using Insects Mosquito Service since 2019, and they continue to impress me. They guarantee their work, and pollinators are always top of mind. If you're hoping to enjoy some porch time when the weather does cool down, get on their schedule now so you're not run off by the mosquitoes. If you're in the Florida Panhandle or the Gulf Coast of Alabama, give Insect a call, ensec.net. Now back to the show. Remember to stay till the end where I give you a sneak peek of next week's episode. Just off the top of your head, can you think of one or two that might hold somebody back in a potential retirement situation? Sure. Nobody is going to want to meet up with me. I'm not interesting enough. I'm too old. Those are some of the negative unconscious and that's not, I, that comes from Alicia Goldstein. I did not create that, but those are some of the things that come up. That there's a social anxiety, and I know we're not going to get into this here, but it really is, from my perspective, when you get in the way, when one person gets in the way of themselves from corralling themselves to experience people. Well, and so if you're not well-practiced and you haven't been investing in the IRA of friendship, social anxiety might feed them, right? And so I recommend that when people have those negative unconscious thoughts, take a step back and just say, hey, having this nuts, it's big nuts. I've come up with a reframe. The reality is that most people want community. This is in our DNA as homo sapiens. We want community. Most people want to stay connected to a functional family. If we think of like our parents who worked in their workplace, and it's millennials for 30, 40 years, like huge love, right? The beauty of retirement is that you might be able to get your former workplace colleagues to do something that's more fun than work. Yeah. Go play tennis, go for a walk, go on a little retreat, just stay connected. And the people, the older people that I do work with who can do that, they're happier, they're healthier, they have less physical health problems. They have, they're better able to regulate themselves. There's so many benefits to preparing for the changes that are inevitable. Inevitable, Like every four years-ish, people change jobs. The average marriage lasts eight years. 
In your book, you said the average friendship lasts seven years. So all eggs in any one basket is definitely a bad thing. I was struck by your advice in the nut chapter about <laughs> living as though the opposite were true. Because that was a fun thought experiment for me. So if I had a nutty belief, then I would think, okay, if I were the opposite of this, so let's use your, what was your example? You said, no one wants to hang out with me or everyone's too busy. That's one I hear a lot. Everyone's so busy, especially for, I hear that a lot from men, actually. Women, I think we are more naturally okay with going, hey, bestie, miss you. How's July 7th? Yeah. in our calendars whereas men i have observed they want like this more organic like i bump into you in the locker room and we fist bump thing i don't know that's obviously my made up <laughs> version of what male friendship looks like sorry guys <laughs> feel free to correct me on a dm on instagram but behaving as though the opposite were true okay if everyone wasn't so busy then what would it look like i just have to add that male friendship I worry about often because there's often like a side-by-side relationship. They need to be engaged in watching something together. It's like women, from my perspective, look face-to-face. There's a little bit of reasons about uh, male relationships. And so men are actually more at risk of having this disconnection on the increase in the physical health problems and mental health. And I don't know if that can help be a reframe for those guys out there. But yeah, schedule a play date. No, jokes, but no jokes. My partner is always like, hey, go golfing, or let's go do this, or let's grab a beer. And so, again, I think, and you and I were talking in the pre recording about the value of male vulnerability and how boys, I think you were citing another researcher, they're really vulnerable up until a point, but we're all human, right? I think that's part of the world of masculinity or culture, and I'm not but on that switch off. But I definitely think being vulnerable is really helpful. In my practice, the men who are suffering from breakups, I have one client and he was like, I just slept on my, my, my friend's couch for a month and it was the best thing ever. And that's me really cool. It takes a lot of courage to be born. And I know from the first I've hope, you know, you don't really know what you're talking about. Maybe I don't, but the research and the antidote right here, it's all about vulnerability. And the reality is like, more that more people than not want to have connection. Whether it's a friendship of utility, you're an older person, don't have a strong support system, you need somebody to drive you off. Play friendship of utility, or you need somebody to move with you through a life course change. Friendship of the good. Yes, exactly. My last question is about something you said in your book that surprised me, which was about the importance of slowing down when it comes to building and cultivating friendships. What did you mean by that? Well, do you believe in this mantra, the slower you go, the more progress you make? I often hear from other people who are informed by social media, oh, this sense of love bombing, right? Too much, too soon can be really dysregulating for people. And some people can be not see it as being jet. Authenticity, and I don't believe I speak to this too much in the book, but I do think that's a core feature of what it people to watch, to, to each. I think genuine and I had an experience years ago where this one person wanted to 
friend me so much that they were doing all of these nice things for me, buying me gift certificates and driving me home. And it was kind of like friendship. And it was a little, it was a little suffocating. And it goes to this notion of codependence and interdependence, right? So interdependence is where you can have your life outside of the friendship with other friends, and then you can come back together. And so sometimes the too much too soon, anecdotally, my own experience can feel like a codependent, right? And so some people who have social anxiety or anxiety, they want to give, but it's okay to put this whole charming goes. It's okay to support the friendship. Yeah, I like that. I also think about not filling up every spot, every free spot in your calendar with something so that, you know, you have space to say yes to the invitations. If every moment of your every waking hour is occupied by an event or an appointment, then yeah, it's totally going to be hard to make friends. So as we wrap up, is there any final thoughts that you want to share on friendship in big life transitions? Put yourself out there. Take risks. We all have our own baggage. We all have our own stuff. Not everybody is going to like everyone. My mom said not every pot fits, lid fits the pot, right? Not everybody's somebody else's cup of tea. Have compassion when you face rejection, right? If you date, you face rejection. Friendship something some for some is harder, for some it's easier. If you're struggling with social anxiety, get some like professional help. Sometimes attachment wounds can also impact your ability to connect with others. And that's when I recommend that people go see specialists. Listen, I write self-help books. I believe in them. But also like therapy can be a fence for socializing and integrating and finding your own sense of awareness. Because I think for friendship, it's not perfect, but it's about awareness. Because we're all going to make mistakes, myself included. Absolutely. Share people where they can find your book and where they can engage with you online. So you can find my book at Amazon.com. I think Target. I not a, I don't have a super big presence online, but I can find me at The Friendship Therapist on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Of course, Meredith. So nice to talk to you. Thanks for listening. And thanks for making it this far. If you loved this episode, now's a great time to take a screenshot and share about it on social media. Be sure to tag me. I'm at Meredith for real. And if you liked this episode, you'll also like the one I did with author and speaker Smiley Puswalski about how to tell if you even have any real friends. It's episode 144. Stay tuned next week when I celebrate my 200th episode with you by sharing lessons I've learned, what they mean for you, and answering some of your questions. <laughs>